Welcome to the 11th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition, our topics are Patrick's Weekend Predictions, the NBA Week in Review, and a look back at the NFL Conference Championships. Let's jump right in, and let's start with Patrick's Weekend Predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com, and we will start with college basketball, where number 11 Creighton beat number 23 UConn 74-66. to Patrick correctly picked Creighton in this game. Maryland upset number 17 Minnesota 63-49. to Patrick correctly picked Maryland with the upset. Number 10 Wisconsin was upset by number 15 Ohio State 74-62. And Patrick correctly picked Ohio State to upset the Wisconsin Badgers. Finally, Florida State beat number 20 Clemson 80-61. And Patrick again picked Florida State. So if you can do math pretty easily, Patrick went 4-0 with his weekend NCAA hoops predictions, including picking some upsets. And frankly, uh, not just the the picks were right, but the analysis was pretty spot on too in some of these picks. Patrick, your thoughts? Creighton won because UConn couldn't find the scoring to even reach 70 points. I predicted that lack of scoring would be their downfall due to losing their star James Booknight a few games ago. And And it really was their downfall, especially late in that game. Not much to say about Minnesota-Maryland. Minnesota just played a very sloppy and bad game. I mean, Maryland only scored 63, but somehow absolutely destroyed Minnesota. I thought Ohio State would score about 78 to, 75 to 80 points. I'd specifically predicted them to score 77. They scored 74, but Wisconsin's offense had an unexpectedly bad day. But I again, I picked the Buckeyes, so, you know, they won, and I picked them to win. Who cares? Uh, <laughs> Clemson has really been ice cold as I put it in my article, and uh, Florida State has been flying under the national radar. They are really dangerous and could challenge Virginia for the ACC title. But overall, I clearly picked some upsets here, even even with only even with one lower ranked team actually being the better betting favorite. And uh, if you look at the favorites, I picked the teams that I picked right were Creighton was an eight and a half point favorite, Maryland was a five and a half point underdog, Florida State was a six and a half point favorite, even though they were the lower ranked team. And Ohio State was a five-and-a-half-point underdog. So clearly there are some things that maybe Vegas betters could take from me and maybe they could make some more money. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe you'll start charging for your predictions. And, and not only were the, some of those games upsets, some of those games were upsets by the road team over a higher-ranked team. So yep. uh, kudos to you for this weekend's picks and the analysis, again, which can be found on the website, 4thand24.com. All right, so you went 4-0 in NCAA hoops. You couldn't... Do better than that with your NBA predictions. Let's see how you did in prognosticating NBA action this weekend. The Nuggets beat the Suns in overtime, 130-126. to You incorrectly picked the Suns. Uh, the Jazz beat the Warriors, 127-108. to Patrick correctly picked the Jazz. The Nets beat the Heat, 128-124. Patrick correctly picked the Nets. And the Raptors beat the Pacers, 109-105, with Patrick correctly picking the Raptors. So, Patrick, you went 3-1 and one in your NBA predictions. Uh, the only game that you got wrong went to overtime, so that one could have gone either way. Your thoughts on your NBA picks for the week? Yeah, that was a very close game between the Nuggets and the Suns, like I expected it to be, but just didn't pick the right team who would eventually win in overtime. And actually, even on the second game of the week, they went to double overtime, so those two teams very, very evenly matched. But um, I said in my article about these predictions that the Jazz would get a big lead and the Warriors would start a comeback, but wouldn't make it all the way back because the Jazz would tighten up their play. The Jazz jumped out to a 19-2 lead, and as I predicted, the Warriors cut that lead all the way down to six points at the beginning of the second quarter, but the Jazz went on a run of their own to put the game away pretty honestly early on. 
the Nets continue to struggle on defense, but they're still able to pull out the win despite allowing Bam out of bio to score 41 points. They might need to find a new center from a trade or a free agent or free agency somehow because they need somebody who's going to guard some big men in the playoffs. Uh, yeah, that's a big problem for them. But anyway, moving on to the next game. I actually incorrectly stated that I thought the Raptors would beat a Pacers team that would be shorthanded without Karis LeVert and Miles Turner, but I actually was wrong. Miles Turner did play. But thanks to a 30-piece from OG and Anobi, the Toronto Raptors ended up winning as the actual, as with them actually being the shorthanded team. So you went 7-1 and one this weekend uh, on the NBA and college basketball. That doesn't include your weekend NFL picks, uh, which prior to the playoffs were traditionally part of your weekend picks. We, we did those separately this week due to the NFC Championship games. As, you, as you'll hear in detail when we get to the NFL recap segment, uh, you went one and one in your NFL championship weekend picks. Uh, so with your NFL picks, you were eight and two last weekend, and for the season, you're thirty nine and seventeen overall. Patrick, your thoughts on how you're doing so far? Pretty good. I mean, I can't really get much uh, much better than this unless I keep going seven and one and everything. But I doubt that'll happen. I mean, I have confidence in myself, but you know, seven and one is pre- those are some pretty lofty expectations and. Uh, in terms of win percentage, I think that's somewhere up near over two-thirds of the game's won, which would mean 67-ish percent, which is really hard to keep up, but we'll see what I can do. Yeah, we'll see how you're doing those predictions. 39-17 is about two-thirds. I don't have my calculator handy, but um, great, great prediction so far. Um, and more so than the predictions, even some of the, the analysis was just spot on with some of these games. So you're right, maybe some people who have a little rooting interest more so than others in games should... Uh, Take a look at some of your analysis and take heed of it. Again, those uh, predictions for next week will be up on our website uh, on Thursday at 4thand24.com. And let's now turn our attention to the NBA. As usual, we take a look back of the week's action uh, with Patrick giving us his most impressive teams of the week, his most disappointing teams of the week, and his player of the week. So, Patrick, let's kick things off with your three most impressive teams of the week. Who was the most impressive team in the NBA this past week to you? That would be the Philadelphia 76ers. The reason for that is they got revenge for their for their playoff revenge, actually, from last year in the bubble by sweeping the Celtics in a two-game series. Granted, the Celtics did not have Jason Tatum in either of the games, their star player, but they did take back the throne of the Eastern Conference standings with that win and also with the win over the Pistons later on in the week. Uh, just overall, very good play from the Sixers. Joel Embiid is playing great. He's kind of developing into the, as uh, as Shaq and Charles Barkley wanted him to be for a long time, the dominant guy rather than just a superstar. They wanted him to ascend to an MVP. And I think he's he might not win the MVP this year, but he is definitely in the conversation. And he has really ascended and picked up his game this year to be the dominant force that he should be with his talent and his skill. All right, and let's move on to your uh, second most impressive NBA team of the past week. That will be the Utah Jazz. They went 4-0 this week. They beat the Nuggets, they beat the Pelicans twice, and they beat the Golden State Warriors. The Jazz are on an eight-game win streak, and after seeing them win these games, it looks like they are a real force to be reckoned with in the West. They're third place in the West, only a half a game back of the Clippers and the Lakers, who are tied for the best record not only in the West, but in the NBA overall. The Jazz are a very, very good team. This is the team that we expected when they took that core that was already a 4-5 or seed perennially and added Mike Conley to it to add that veteran presence. This is what we expected them to be, and this is what they've now turned into. 
they are looking they're looking pretty good. They look like they could even maybe rival some of the, either the Clippers or the Lakers, maybe not the Lakers, but definitely the Clippers. All right, and your third most impressive team of the past week in the NBA. I just mentioned them for who they lost to this week. It's the Denver Nuggets. They went 3-1, and one, and as I just said, look, the Jazz are on an eight-game winning streak. Can't blame anybody for losing to them. But the Nuggets swept the Suns uh, in a back-to-back, as I said, as we actually mentioned earlier when we were talking about it in my predictions. One game in overtime, one game in double overtime, and they also beat the Thunder to go 3-1 and one this week. And their their sweep over the Suns, in my opinion at least, was one of the bigger storylines of this young season because they had that shaky start and it looked like, ooh, that's not a good position to be in. You're going to have to play all these tough teams. How do you recover? How do you play yourself into a higher up seed to the point where you don't have to be playing the Lakers or the Clippers in the first round or even playing a team like the Jazz, who are a pretty scary team? And then beating the Suns actually propelled them into, I think, fifth or fourth in the West as... Uh, as of right now, as of the recording of this, but that's overall a very good place for them to be, and they would still not be able to avoid the Lakers in the second round, which is a very tough ask, but last year they were able to upset the Clippers in the second round, and I think if put in the same position, they might just beat them again, so if they can get to about that three-seed level, maybe take over over the Jazz, that could put them in a position within striking distance to face the Lakers again to maybe try to get to the NBA Finals. Well, that's a long way down the road, but um, interesting insights. A lot of this in the Western Conference with those latter two teams. Um, let's take the flip side of things and go to the most disappointing teams of the week to you in the NBA. Who was the most disappointing team to you this past week? The Milwaukee Bucks. The reason is very, very simple. They went 0-2. They were in two games this week that were about setting a tone for the rest of the season. They had questions that needed to be answered did Giannis deserve his two MVPs? Are the Bucks the kings of the East? And can they make a run at the Lakers for the ty- for the king of the NBA? And they answered those questions all right with three resounding absolute no's. Giannis is not playing well. They're not even well. He's not. He's playing fine, but not how an MVP should be playing. There, he went from I think the preseason favorite in betting odds to now only 15 games in the season on his way outside of the top up top 10 in betting odds. Below some stars on other teams, including LeBron, Luka Doncic, Anthony Davis, Kevin Durant. Uh, just overall, the Bucks really needed to set the tone and show that they were here to stay. And this is not a good look for them, considering that we know that the Nets and the Lakers not only are here this year, but for years to come with their current roster. And Giannis is locked into that contract. I don't know what they need to do to reshuffle their to shuffle their roster, add some guys, but. The, the fact of the matter is this. Giannis isn't the one taking the last shot of the game. Chris Middleton is and has been this whole season. You never want your star player, your franchise player, being the second option at the end of the game. That is a very bad sign for your team. So you, you're you not uh, you're not high on the Bucks right now? No, let's, uh, <laughs> definitely not. Let's talk about uh, your second most disappointing team of the week. Maybe didn't have as lofty expectations as the Bucks did, but still... Uh, Number two most disappointing team of the week in the NBA for you, Patrick. I gave that to the Orlando Magic. The Magic played a very easy schedule and looked awful throughout it. They, I think, only scored 81 points against the Knicks. Uh, Good job, Tom Thibodeau's defense, I guess. But uh, congrats on beating the worst team in the league, Orlando. That's the best thing you did this week. You beat the Timberwolves. You went 1-2 overall. But with how much money you pumped into your roster and in the offseason, you re-signed three or four players. The status quo was mediocre, and somehow you can't even hold that up. And really, 
to make the playoffs in the East, all you need to be is mediocre. You're trying to get back to maybe the level that you were with your Dwight Howards and Rashard Lewis's, or maybe even all the way back to the Shaq days in, in Orlando. It's not going to happen if, you, if you're trying to build the middle-of-the-pack team to begin with, and you can't even hold that up. You're not going to attract any stars. You're nowhere near the best team in Florida. It's you gotta you gotta pick the play up if you wanna make it far in the franchise. So that was the reason why I put them as disappointing. It just doesn't look good for them in general. All right, and your third most disappointing team of this past week in the NBA. I gave it to the New Orleans Pelicans. You know, everybody came into the season saying this is a team that could challenge teams like the Suns and teams like the Mavericks for a play for that last playoff spot, maybe even teams like the Blazers. But they're plummeting all the way down in the Western Conference standings. They are only above the Timberwolves, and in fact, they actually lost to the Timberwolves this week. They only beat the Kings, and they lost twice to the Jazz. They went 1-3. and three. Granted, not a lot of teams can beat the Jazz right now, but still, I- I've mentioned it multiple times before. If you want to be a playoff contender, when you play other playoff teams, you should be going 1-1 one and one in those games where you play the team back-to-back. Uh, and the loss to the Timberwolves just really cements that this team might need to wait wait a few more years or change their roster a bit to really be the contender that they wanted to be. Maybe putting too much on Zion early in his career, saying that the number one pick has to be the best player immediately. It's not like LeBron won the NBA Finals in his rookie year either. <laughs> I mean, definitely every star has, had, has taken a few years, and I think that every single time somehow NBA pundits and fans always want their number one pick to be the best player that year that they get drafted. It's a little too lofty, but you know what? The Pelicans should be better than they are right now, considering how many their draft capital from the past and what they've brought in with Eric Bledsoe. It's just, it just doesn't look too good for the Pelicans either. So uh, we don't often deal in hypotheticals in this, in this recap, but uh, had the Nets lost to the Bucks, would they have made your list of the most disappointing teams? They probably would have, especially considering them giving up 120 points in every single game this week and losing twice to the Cavaliers in overtime. Uh, yeah, I mean, they probably would have, but, you know, the Nets overall, at least they're just moving through growing pains of getting a new player into their roster from a week ago and getting back a player who's been on and off this season, obviously that being Kyrie Irving and the, the first-mentioned player, James Harden. I think for them, it's just growing pains of getting this new roster in and figuring out who's going to do what, and maybe the team and the front office realizing, okay, we need another center to play defense because DeAndre Jordan isn't cutting it. But I think for the Bucks, I think I would keep them in there regardless because they just need to, they, they really, it looked close at the end score of both these games, but the Lakers really destroyed the Bucks, and the Bucks are trying to win a title. You can't win a title when you're getting destroyed by the champs. All right, well, let's get off the negative and back to the positive. Uh, who was your player of the week? I gave it to Nikola Jokic. He had 27, 10, and 6 in all four games this week at the very least. He's second in the league in assists so far as a center, nearly averaging a triple-double. And this week had 30.5 points per game, 14.5 rebounds per game, 7.3 assists per game, and 1.8 steals per game. I mean, he's just putting up numbers like he's a guard in most of the respects, and then putting up numbers like he's, you know, a dominant center in the other respects, like rebounding, and his scoring output is ridiculous. This guy, he could be, for now, he's my MVP of the league, especially considering that they had a rough start, but he was still playing well, and now that they're coming back and really being a resurgent team, now he's still going. 
he's he's really, really playing well and willing this Nuggets team to the top of the West. All right, well, that wraps up our look back of the week in the NBA. Let's turn our attention to a recap of this weekend's NFL Conference Championship games. The first game saw the number five seeded Tampa Bay Bucks upset the number one seeded Green Bay Packers 31 to 26 at Lambeau Field. Patrick, your thoughts on this game? It looked like both teams were trying to lose the game for a good stretch of it, honestly. Kevin King and Matt LaFleur might be talked about for a while by Packers fans, maybe up until the first game of next season, or even until their next playoff game if they happen to win it. It used to be that you had to play perfect to beat Tom Brady teams, but now you just have to play your game and not do anything stupid, in my opinion. But the Packers failed to avoid many, many, many stupid mistakes. They, You just can't let anyone score with eight seconds left in the half on the 40-yard line when they're out of field goal range. Let them get a field goal. Let them go up seven if you need to. But Kevin King, you cannot watch Tom Brady's eyes when you have a fast receiver trying to run a streak. You know the only thing they're going to do is throw it up and hope that somebody catches it. And the one thing you have to do is not let anybody get behind you into the end zone. Awful play. That was a big turning point in this game because it could have been 14-10 at half and probably in what should have been a worst-case non-miracle scenario, 17-10, which is still a one-possession game, but instead, after giving up that touchdown, it's 21-10. And then right after that happened, the Packers get the ball and they fumble on a third down, which led to the Buccaneers basically being gifted two touchdowns in a row, going from 14-10 to 28-10. I even said it, you were watching the game with me, I said the game was over then, and I said they had just thrown it away. Somehow Tom Brady almost gave it back to the Packers, but in the end, we know who won. And I it's just very confusing going back to the bad decision-making. At the end of this game, Matt LaFleur decides to kick the field goal to go from an 8 to a 5-point game. I think that was an awful decision. They needed a touchdown regardless of what happened there anyway. And even if you kick the field goal, what? you you And you're not going to onside kick it either, so... You, you clearly care about field position because otherwise you would have onside kicked it. But if you care about field position so much, go for the touchdown. Your defense is the most suspect part of your team. You have the league MVP at quarterback. If you're given the opportunity to put it in the hands of Aaron Rodgers to win the game, go let him tie the game and send it in overtime. That's your ideal scenario. That's what everybody wants. That's what the Chiefs want. That's what the Bills would have wanted later on, but we'll talk about them later on. But... You, you need to have the ball in your quarterback's hands when he is as good as Aaron Rodgers is, especially with that defense behind it. And the real problem is just, as I said, that principle of it. It makes no sense to take the hands out, to take the ball out of Aaron Rodgers' hands. I'm truly sorry to Packers fans after this game because you're probably really disappointed in your team. Your team really had a real chance of it and made too many stupid mistakes, like Kevin King's mistakes, or not going for it. And if you really want to go back... Some team, some people may say that the Packers were doomed by not drafting Justin Jefferson and instead drafting a backup quarterback because who knows, maybe Justin Jefferson makes the catch on the two-point conversion and that field goal actually makes sense and could have made it a three-point game. And maybe the whole game has changed, but that's a different conversation about their drafting. But yeah. Well, and it's something you pointed out, a questionable decision um, prior to going for a field goal when you're down eight with two minutes and five seconds left in the game, that was all set up because Green Bay was down 28-17 to 17 and scored a touchdown with 24 seconds left in the third quarter 
to make the game 28-23. And rather than kicking the extra point to make it a four-point game, they chased points and went for two and missed. Um, Tampa Bay then kicks a field goal to go up 31-23 by eight points. But had they kicked the extra point and not chased the points, Green Bay would have been down by seven. Well... I, I still think they were kicking the field goal because if they if they if they're concerned about getting eight points, why would they be any less concerned about getting, getting seven? seven? I don't know. Maybe I, I mean I don't know. Maybe he thinks he kicks it and then I have no idea. And then they hold Green Bay to a field goal. I don't know. The whole thing makes absolutely no sense. Um, I'm a firm believer you do not chase points in the third quarter. Let's put it that way. Maybe he thought he made the two-point conversion when he sent the field goal kicker out. That's the only reasonable explanation is he thought he made the two-point conversion, lost track of the Well, score. no, they I, still would have been down. It, it made absolutely no sense. There were some other boneheaded plays in this game. Um, what looked to be a smart strategy play on the ensuing kickoff, kickoff after uh, right before the two-minute warning, uh, before Green Bay, sorry, after Green Bay, kicked that inexplicable field goal, Tampa Bay, a returner sat down um, in the field of play thinking that it, it had reached a two-minute warning. Um, it was two minutes and two seconds left, so Green Bay got gifted and got gifted an extra extra timeout that they weren't going to have. Um, and then Green Bay made a really smart decision, one that you don't see very often, um, and jumped off sides intentionally on second and short with a minute and 56 left to give them a better chance of getting the ball back because then it was first down instead of a more, longer sets of downs. Yeah, well, sadly, happen. if your happen. only good decision of the game comes with two minutes left when the team is when your opponent is running the clock out, if that's your only good decision of a game, you're not going to win a playoff game against, frankly, anybody. They probably would have lost to Washington playing the way that they played yeah, in this I game. Yeah, like you said, I wouldn't like to be Matt LaFleur. Um, there's no other sports in Green Bay. I mean, yes, they, Milwaukee has baseball and... Uh, and basketball, but that's a football town. Every day is a Packers is about Packers football. It is going to be a long, cold winter in Green Bay. Um, they gave this game away in so many different uncharacteristic ways. And they so, were even giving it back into their hands and still did not capitalize on the opportunities they were given, like the two Tom Brady interceptions in the second half that really kept the Packers in the game. I mean, I said don't play stupid and you can actually win this game. It's Tom Brady also just needed to protect the ball to ice this really easily, and he made it more difficult on his defense, actually made them have to step up and make Aaron Rodgers not score a touchdown and everything. So, I mean... Yeah, actually, the the, the Green Bay, the Packers' blunders really overshadowed. I'm sure everything will be about Tom Brady getting to his 10th Super Bowl, and Tom Brady did this, this, and look what he did, and he doesn't need Belichick. But he had some awful plays in this game. He chucked up... Uh, an arm punt that was an interception in the... He in the overthrew Chris Godwin, which led to them kicking a field goal, and if he had thrown that for a first down, they probably would have scored a touchdown instead of kicking the field goal, and instead of this whole controversy about going for it and scoring touchdown instead of field goal for the Packers, they would have been up by 10, and the game would have pretty much already been over to begin with. So, I mean, a lot of missed opportunities by both teams, honestly. Yeah, like you said, both teams... Exactly. Like you said, both teams looked like they were trying to give the game away. Um, but uh, uh, inexplicable decision making uh, by Green Bay's head coach at the end at the end of the game with two minutes and five seconds left to kick that field goal. It makes absolutely no sense. So, with that being said, let's turn our attention over to the AFC, um, where the number one seeded Kansas City Chiefs defeated the number two seeded Buffalo Bills, thirty-eight to twenty-four at Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City, earning their second consecutive trip to the Super Bowl. Patrick, your thoughts on this game? I don't know why so many analysts today picked the Bills way, 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 way too many. It's very simple. It's a simple equation. 25 wins, one loss, only loss because his defense jumped off sides and gave Tom Brady a free first down in an, a in an AFC championship game. 
Patrick Mahomes doesn't lose games. I mean, the Chiefs went down, you remember last year, they went on two amazing comebacks. They went down 24 to nothing. And this game started off the same way. The Bills went up and scored a field goal. Patrick Mahomes punted on three plays, actually. And it was like, whoa, the Bills, they are jumping up, playing so well at the beginning. And then Nicole Hardman muffs a punt and gifts the Bills a touchdown to go up nine to nothing. But I said it a lot this year, and I've said it a lot when I've been analyzing these playoff matchups when it has to do with the Chiefs. The Chiefs have played with their food a lot this year, and they really did it again, to be honest. Here's the drive summary after the Bills went up 9-0. Chiefs, 80-yard touchdown. Bills, punt. Chiefs, 82-yard touchdown. Bills, punt. Chiefs, 77-yard touchdown. And all of a sudden, in a blink of an eye, all in the second quarter, the Chiefs are back up 21-9. They're up 12 after looking like they were really in an awful position, down 9-0 after after three and outing on their first possession and muffing a punt. You have to play an absolutely perfect game to beat the Chiefs if you don't have literally the best defense of all time in the NFL. The Chiefs will make a few mistakes, but just a few of them. And when they're done with the mistakes, it's an unstoppable onslaught from then on. As I said, they scored 21 unanswered on the next five combined drives from those teams, and eventually 38 out of the game's next 44 points, and it was never in reach for the Bills after the Chiefs went up 38-15. to The Chiefs played a great game on both sides of the ball, and I was actually surprised at how well their defense played. Excluding the touchdown after the muffed punt, they only gave up two field goals outside of the Bills' nine garbage-time points. They didn't give up a touchdown in this game other than Josh Allen's late, 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 late throw and that muffed punt and the one after the muffed punt. So credit to them who will most likely win their second Super Bowl in a row. I don't need to hear the injury report unless it involves Patrick Mahomes. I definitely think they're going to do so, but what are your thoughts? Um, well, as you just said, injury report, Patrick Mahomes, you, you need to play a perfect game against the Chiefs if Patrick Mahomes is playing quarterback. Because if Patrick Mahomes is playing, unless you injure Patrick Mahomes, which nobody wants to do intentionally, but we saw it uh, last weekend with the Browns. And, and they and, still and, lost. And, and they still lost. Um, and, and you saw it with uh, with him resting in Week 17, they don't lose. Um, it was a strange game, like you said. Uh, there there were some gifts given to Buffalo. They went up 9 nothing. looked like they were going to go up 10 nothing. The extra point hit the tip-tip top of the of the, uh, of the the upright and uh, came back. So Maybe Buffalo a bad missed. omen. That's exactly what I was going to say, and it was everything. Very synonymous picture with the Bills franchise of missing field goals and extra points, yeah, too. all downhill from there. I mean, that, that, that ball hit the top of the upright, and then it was an avalanche of the Chiefs, and the game was over. It came, this 38-24 makes it look like a competitive game. This was not a competitive game. They scored nine points with less than five minutes left after the Chiefs were pretty much done with the game. Yeah, the Bills I mean, basically did absolutely nothing. They scored. They had a field goal on their first drive, a muffed punt. They got two yards. They missed an extra point, and then they were outscored thirty-eight to six, and the game was over. It, the Chiefs are just—it's beautiful to watch them play. It's it they is, play like a, they play like a basketball team playing again. Like the way that they score, they literally play. They score like they're a basketball team. They just score in really quick bursts and bunches, and it's like. I don't see, even as a Rams fan, like having the best defense in the NFL, I don't see anything that can stop that. Like, they've played anybody you can throw at them this season. The, Brian Dable is supposed to be one of the, or Brian Dable, offensive coordinator, sorry. Leslie Frazier is supposed to be one of the best defensive minds in the game. He can't stop them. They played, they played Belichick multiple times, even with the Patriots not having COVID opt-outs for the last two or three seasons. 
They can't stop them. There's nothing that can stop the Chiefs right now, and it's it's a really daunting task for the rest of the AFC for a long time to come, not just not just next year or the year after. Yeah, um, you've got a Patrick Mahomes-Tom Brady matchup this time in the Super Bowl. Games in Tampa's home stadium, that's the first time that's ever happened. Uh, it's Tom Brady's 10th Super Bowl. Uh, it's Patrick Mahomes' second in only his fourth year in the league. You would say Tom Brady's record will never be broken of 10 Super Bowl appearances, but... Patrick Mahomes could break it in the next eight years. So, could tie it, could tie it in the next eight years. But um, I was going to say Patrick Mahomes uh, might have to play to be forty-three at the pace he's going uh, to to tie that record. Uh, It will be an inter. There are a lot of interesting storylines. I'm not sure the game is going to be that interesting. Uh, Don't know how much home field advantage will help. There's twenty-two thousand fans who are going to be in the stands, but seven thousand, seventy-five hundred of them are. Our frontline workers. Who, um, if you looked at the Zoom video of Roger Goodell surprising them, some of them acted like they weren't surprised or didn't really care about football, yeah, but so who knows? We'll see. Um, some of them may be story- Jacksonville fans. Either way, <laughs> there will be great storylines. I don't think the game is going to be that close. Um, we'll obviously be taking a more in-depth look at the game Super Bowl as it, as it gets closer. It's two weeks away on February 7th. I would say the only other thing I say about the Kansas City Chiefs is you not only have this amazing talent, but you have very innovative coaching staff. They're not just willing to roll the ball out there and say, our talent is better than yours, and we're going to beat you that way. They out-scheme you. They come up with new wrinkles every week. And you know, I'm not a football coach, but when a fan sitting at home on the couch can see these new wrinkles and see the innovation of the plays, you can only imagine how many other things they're doing with different formations and running same plays out of different sets with different personnel, etc. And the other thing is Steve Spagnuolo loves to bring blitz packages, and if you looked at the way that that Stephon Diggs was covered today, I think Stephon Diggs is one of the best receivers in the NFL, and he's definitely better than anything the Bucs have. No offense to their receiving court, it's amazing. But I think if they can lock down Stephon Diggs, in playing man-to-man coverage and blitzing a lot, Tom Brady really struggles with the with the blitz. And, you know, we've talked about the Chiefs' offense a lot, but the Bucks' defense is playing well on its own, but, I mean, that's a different conversation. I think, the, I think where this game will be won next week is the Chiefs' defense putting Brady on his back a few too many times for his liking. And this year he has proved that he does not deal well with the blitz in his face. The Rams blitzed him and he threw two picks. The Packers blitzed him. He threw three interceptions today. It's clear that the Chiefs scheme might be too good for him to overcome if they play the way they did today with corners getting sacks off, delayed blitzes, and all the coverage sacks that they had, and everything Everything seems to be covered. The Browns tried to run the ball in the Chiefs. It didn't work. They tried to stretch it out on stretch plays and on screens, and it didn't work. They just cut off the edges. They do That defense is doing everything right, and maybe they don't have the most maybe they're they don't have the most talented defense but the way that the scheme is working it's it's hard to imagine a team scoring something more than 28 on them they they keep very they keep very much in a range they never they're not going to shut anybody out but they're not going to let anybody score hang 40 on them so the way that that defense is playing and the way that Patrick Mahomes is playing it's it's almost unstoppable like that you you can't score above 28 and you can't hold them under 35 so how are you going to beat it? Yeah, we'll we'll have a more in-depth analysis in upcoming podcasts. Um, maybe Tampa Bay gets Antonio Brown back. That helps with the offense. But obviously there's a lot to talk about. These were some of our initial thoughts on the upcoming Super Bowl matchup. We will be talking about the Super Bowl in our podcast to come. But that wraps up this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. 
Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Saturday, January 30th, where, among other things, we will recap the week in college basketball. In the meantime, please be sure to submit any comments you might have or topics you'd like to hear discussed, especially as the NFL is winding down. We're going to have to delve into some other areas. Um, And also check out Patrick's additional content, including his NCAA tournament bracket predictions, and on Thursdays, his picks for next weekend's games. All of that is on our website at 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.